Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. She's a truly a box of chocolates. <laughs> she really a is a box of really badly dressed chocolates. Renee, it's our second episode of the year. We are on the stick. It is so nice to have you in this part of the globe. Oh, yeah. Because now you have a job that is requiring you to be in the same place at the same time. 5 p.m. Eastern, power hour on Amazon Prime Video. On demand now. On demand and live. Um, usually you're in Australia for like the I entirety am. of the winter. Yeah. Normally I'm down there in all of December pretty much getting a nice tan although I still wear my sunscreen, um, as it is a must in Australia, because anyone who goes there knows, gotta wear sunscreen. Um, but yeah, but now I'm here. I'm here. I've been here for New Year's. I was here for Christmas, and I didn't go out for any of them, which was really great. But more importantly, I will be going down in a couple of days to the Australian Open. So we've got a special guest that we want to bring on to the show today. We've been trying to get this person on for a while, uh, but now she's retired, so she's got more time. Uh, Christy Ahn. Christy, welcome to... Our podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited, honored to be on here with two legends. So. <laughs> wow. Honored. <laughs> One of my favorite things uh, in getting to know you in the last couple of years is how... Her sarcasm? No. <laughs> Although maybe. <laughs> me? Sarcastic? No. It's um, how devoted you are to the snacks. Snacks. Yeah. You are... Really, I've not met anybody... Maybe it has more to do with your age, but you are so up on the pastry shops, (laughs) the pop-up shops. And I feel like what a privilege it is to have you, a tri-state area native, now in town. Because anytime you recommend a place for us to meet up for coffee or pastries or noodles or whatever, it's going to be really delicious. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's just like, Koreans love snacks. Like, and and pastries so we're always looking for like the next you know good thing and fusions so we go, where did we go today la, la cabra yeah second and tenth if anyone wants to go it has been all over my feed and i'm like this cardamom bun i like i need it and it, it definitely did not disappoint did it not was good was it the best thing that you had the at the it picture? was my favorite thing got it had, yeah mm. Um, I had everything, so I, I approve on all of it. Uh, anyway, Christy, let's get to the meat and potatoes, not the pastries. Um, what have you been up to? <laughs> meat and potatoes. I mean, you know, this all right, is I'll how we go. That was clever. I want to get to, like, the decision-making process for you, why eventually you stopped. Because um, I, I think it's always an interesting thing for people to understand about 
how difficult it is, but also maybe for some it's a relief. Like what, what did you experience when you actually decided, okay, I'm going to hang the rackets up? Yeah. So I was actually going to retire in 2020. That was going to be my like victory lap year after a really good 2019. And then obviously the world went, you know, to shit. stopped. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, kind of just held out for 2021, hoping that it would go back to normal and it semi did. So I had like a, a really cool Wimbledon experience playing on court one. Um, didn't get that experience at the U S open, wasn't qualifying, no fans, but I got to the point where I was like, I want, I want that closure, you know, that Agassi ending. But for me, it was like the thought of, uh, waking up and going to training every day, doing that, the grind, I was like, I can't do it anymore. Um, and it, it was like, it was a feeling of when Stubbsy, you know, this, when you've been doing this for your whole life and all of a sudden it's like everything you felt like you are, which is I'm a tennis player, I'm a world traveler. And it just feels like that chapter is closed and you're like, who am I? Like the soul searching that you go through. And for me, I, I always knew that tennis was going to be a stepping stone. Um, maybe this has been a little bit of a rougher transition than I thought it would be. Maybe job market tech world going a little crazy, but I'm like, I'm, I'm enjoying my time off. And I, I love recreationally playing tennis with friends, <laughs> as Caitlin knows. Yes. Um, and yeah, you couldn't stop yourself from coaching me, which was incredible. <laughs> it was such a privilege yeah, for me. Yeah, no, I mean, I, when I see talent, I know it's there. I just, you know. <laughs> That's a lot harder than my other coach. What an asshole. I was going to say when you see things that are very much need correcting. <laughs> No, honestly, in those cases, I just leave it. I, I think sometimes you leave it's a not mess. Effort. So I was like, I'm going to say one thing. It was and, helpful. It was great. Maybe it'll click. It and, did. It helped. Yeah. It, it was actually transformative. Keep, keep um, it simple. So you're working on the forehand. Good luck. <laughs> come you, on. It's you come take a long the back way. Yeah, yeah. yeah I t- I've taken the backhand. Today. She fixed the backhand already. Yeah. Um, and she refused to fix the forehand. But I, I unlike most professional tennis players, unlike most uh, athletes who are transitioning into the next moment, you happen to have a massive brain. You are a standout college tennis player at Stanford, and you also are plan A. What she's trying to say, but but Caitlin has a really long way of saying it, is you're educated, you thought about life after tennis, which a lot of tennis players don't think about. So what's the next step for you going forward now? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a very good question. I think I have a couple doors that I might want to explore. Um, still trying to pivot into product design. It's a little bit tough right now with job market, but, um, if that doesn't quite pan out in the next couple of months, we'll, we'll take a little pivot. You know, that's, that's also the good thing that I'm learning is like, you don't have, you don't always have to like stick, like bash your head against the wall to get through. Sometimes you just have, it takes a little bit of, you know, searching and, maneuvering and you'll you'll get to where you're supposed to be maybe tennis talks that so you have you've gotten certification you have an interest in ux product design yeah that's a big flavor you've also been traveling on the tour in support of other athletes that seems like maybe not necessarily something you want to pursue but something you could pursue certainly did you have a good experience being part of Lizette Cabrera's team last year (laughs) I mean I I thoroughly enjoyed it um I don't know if she did but it was uh she had good results uh you know I I feel like the important thing was we we ended better than where we started great that's the goal of the coach exactly and it was during the grass swing which is always you know my I'm sure your favorite time of year too Stubbsy yes it's a very short but special time and love the grass. Just What did you find uh, eye-opening about coaching players? 
first of all, I don't even know if it counts as coaching. It was more just like emotional support on my end. Like hype team. Yeah. yeah that's I mean, the it's, whole, that's but I think that what is I'm getting to. Part of yeah, it, yeah, no? yeah. And especially for, I think, uh, female players, we always say feel good to play good. So if you can get your player to really, it's such a long, you know, tennis is so much travel, the day to days, it just becomes such a grind. So I feel like when you can find little joys, keep yourself light and remember why you're even playing the sport to begin with that's when you're going to play a little bit better you're going to build on your positives and then hopefully have good results yeah I can honestly say that all the players that I've coached now the thing that I x's and o's is one thing and game plans and all that sort of stuff is important but the thing that I felt felt like I did more than anything as a coach is work on them being in a good mental space before they walked onto the court and whether that's in practice or you know, just a conversation before a match. So, you know, for everyone out there, coaching is, and it's stressful because yeah. you feel like you're taking ownership of everything that you've told them. And if they play well, great. You feel good that you've maybe helped them. But if they play badly, you're like, what could have I have done differently? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone, everyone knows how to hit a tennis ball, especially at this level. Like anyone can beat anyone on a given week. So it's just like, where's your headspace at? Yeah. So that's like the most important thing. And if you can get your player in that that's like the the golden question right is that's why you're seeing a lot more players hiring psychologists Mm -hmm. how can they be in that prime spot at that prime peak time like and take advantage of those moments and also feel like they are can be a little bit more transparent about some of the stuff that might be a struggle in terms of mental health or needing to take time off or needing to introduce levity or have a little bit of a break in terms of the schedule when they need to go you know, maybe return home or do something that's a little bit more decompressed just yeah. because it feels like that helps them. Now we're, I think, in a better place as a sport, generally, not only just tennis, but like this helps me perform better to know that I have like happiness yeah, and, uh, you know, a sense of relaxation that I can introduce into a high stress environment like a yeah. week in, week out schedule. I, I think players are trying to take little pieces of home more on the road with them. So whether that's traveling with their dog or a family member or friend, mm-hmm. just kind of keeping it so that you, there's so much downtime for players. Obviously, we're training all the time and playing matches, but there's a lot of downtime where you're alone with your thoughts and it gets super, it gets, you know, sometimes you're in dark places. So, having whatever little beacon of light you can to help pull you out of there, it's so. I do want to mention before we keep moving that one of the other things that people really, really know you for, in addition to being a standout collegiate athlete, in addition to making a couple of incredible runs, is your social media presence. Not only for yourself, if anyone knows doesn't know what I'm talking about, go look up Wipe It Down by <laughs> on the internet during the pandemic. But also, um, you lent your skills to some tournaments to create content in a way that I think has been really fun to watch and there's a lot of facets to you is that something you want to keep pursuing or kind of like that was fun but moving keeping it moving or what uh yeah I think I think it was a a one and done you know mm-hmm. here for a good time not a long time but uh <laughs> I uh a season I, a reason a lifetime <laughs> I've always wanted to go to Germany and Hamburg reached out to me and asked if I would run their social and I thought it was a really cool opportunity there's a lot of history in Hamburg beautiful city um and it's such a great event and it was just really fun you know interacting with the players on a different um level it was a combined event so I got to work with some of the male players who I actually didn't know beforehand but you know some of my buddies Annette Kasakina they were all there and it was just really fun to be able to have the manpower to put my ideas to life we had some really great videographers and I think we put out some pretty unique content 100% and for me like from a storytelling perspective what we try to do at Racket is certainly that and I think when I see a tournament being smart and hiring 
somebody who has a bunch of skills like you do, but also credibility with some of the fellow athletes, like watching you and Petco create content together. It was just like, oh, this is really smart. And I hope, you know, we're not going to talk, talk about this too much today, just because none of us have seen it. But the forthcoming Netflix series, obviously break point that is on the precipice of coming out that we're, I'm sure going to have some thoughts uh, about soon is just tennis needs more of that. It hasn't necessarily done a good job in my view, at least of telling its own story. And I think when you see somebody like the Hamburg tournament reaching out to you to do that, it's encouraging. And I want to say to tournaments, keep doing that because it helps sure sell tickets and get viewers to tune in, but also it lives outside of the ecosystem of that tournament in a way that's great. And I think hopefully brings in new people who can experience it. Before we get to like talking about Netflix and we're going to talk a bit about the Australian open and get your thoughts, et cetera. Is, I want to know from your standpoint, like going to college, uh, having that experience, going on the pro tour, I'm always interested in what players that go from that experience of feeling like you're on a team, you have support constantly around you to being thrust into the tour. Like what was the thing that was probably the most eye-opening to you that was the most difficult to deal with? Uh, you go from a full-fledged support system, not only like teammates, but you know, you have your medical staff, you have your coaching, you've got your best friends right there and then all of a sudden you're just in it alone and even if you're like at an academy you know that you're doing this everyone's looking out for their own best interest and it's like it's this feeling of like why am I doing this like you're going to for me I started out at some 25ks and you're like this is this is not I miss it I feel so uncomfortable there's nobody here watching my matches there's no support I can't you know, yell down two courts, say, go card, this and that. Like, it's just like, you really have to know why you're playing tennis to actually like, to, to go through it. Cause it, it's, it's the transition for me was like brutal. I moved to Florida. I was out in California. I thought about staying out there, but I was like, you know, I'm going to commit to my tennis. There's, you know, a lot of people to hit with in, uh, in Florida and a lot of academies and training and I was the the first week I was like, why am I doing this again? And it was just like, you really have to like, remember why the you're why. doing it. Yeah. The literally the why. So the motivator. The, yeah. yeah the so fire. if you were to go back or advise somebody now, because you know, one of the reasons I asked this question and one of the reasons I love doing the podcast is to get these answers out to people that are maybe considering this or have or parents that listen that have kids that maybe want to play professionally. What would you advise yourself going back, if you were an umpire and, you know, deciding how to, how to handle this, what would you advise kids or people that are considering going pro? What would you tell them about that period? Yeah, I think moving, just because Florida is a hub doesn't necessarily mean that's like the reason why you should go there. I think going somewhere where you're going to feel like you have somewhat of a support system, whether that's family, friends, or a good academy that you feel like you have bonds and ties with. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I wanted every reason to leave Florida and go back home or go on the road versus like feeling like every feeling like Florida was my home and I had a good group of friends and this and that. Um, so when I actually moved back to New York in or New Jersey in 2018, you know, I was like, okay, maybe the training might not be as arduous and, you know, intense as it was in Florida, but I had a lot more life, balance and I was happier which mm -hmm. again the yeah. key to everything but obviously happiness. it works like, so yeah. I guess what you're saying is it, it, it not you know some people could go to Florida and actually be happy yeah. like I actually 
for me personally, I had to move from Australia because the travel was so, so much and a lot of Aussies moved to Florida. And we had a little enclave of Aussie players, Nicole Pratt, myself, Todd Woodbridge, Jason Stoltenberg, a lot of like Aussies of the same age all moved there. So now that I think about it, yeah, we had a little village of yeah. our own. So I guess you're saying make sure you've got a good village around you. It might be a team, might be your team, might be living like Jenny Brady moving to Germany for that period of time. She probably felt like even though she was moving away from the States, it was like for the first time in life, a little bit of a, a little bit of a team around her that she could focus on herself. That's also important, I think, is to make sure you're also focusing on yourself because it's hard to be home sometimes because all your friends want you. For sure. And you don't have time for that. Yeah. You know, so there's a balance there. I think if I moved back home right after college, I wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. I think getting my – and same, same thing with staying in San Francisco in the Bay. I, I think that would have been a really bad decision for mm. my tennis because yeah. I would have had too much fun, would have been yeah. – socializing way too much, not focusing as much on my tennis. So I don't think moving to Florida necessarily was a bad decision for my career at the time. I just wish that there was maybe somewhat of a midway where I had more of a support system in Florida. So moving to back home in 2018, when I was older, more mature was uh, in a different place in my career. That's when I got a little bit more of that. You, You could arguably say that when you came back to the Northeast, that you were a more mature person and you knew what you wanted. I am not a mature person. Well, we're not. <laughs> I said more of a mature person, not mature. Um, but I think what you're saying is that once you get to a certain age, you actually also understand why. I think, I think what we got to in the end of this conversation is know your why know why you want to play professionally because if you know those things then you'll eventually hopefully find the right system around you um yeah, and ev- everyone's different for yeah, sure yeah and, and everyone is different some people need to be home for sure to function as a a good tennis player you know need to be around their family and some people need, need to, to remove to themselves get the hell away <laughs> yeah. yeah and there's some players that you and i could arguably say need to get away from their parents <laughs> yeah i think Stefan that- Arsisabas. i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I've said that so many times. It's not going to be a surprise to I, any of our listeners. I can't imagine it's a surprise to anybody in any corner of the world that <laughs> many people, obviously us included, think the world of his potential once he moves beyond his yes, father as a coach. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to touch on, and then we'll keep it moving because there's so many things that we can talk about tennis-wise about who's playing the Australian Open, who's looking good in warm-up tournaments, who's uh, you know who's not there conspicuously. Before I get to that, I just want to mention, you've been doing some work with the WTA in the last couple of years, the Players' Council. Can you just sort of explain what that is and why they're lucky to have somebody like you who both played but also is super smart and worldly? Like, what are some of the things that you guys kind of discuss? Like, anything from rule changes or conditions that these players find themselves in? I just think it's really fascinating for people to understand how these governing bodies are trying to make the sport better. Yeah, it's... It's so simple, but it's so complex. There's um, obviously there's issues that we see on a day to day level, whether it's, you know, a tor- like we need more of this at a tournament or this was good, this wasn't good. But also just in terms of, you know, we see a lot of reoccurring issues. Like one thing that we saw with the rules was some players taking advantage of medical timeouts or bathroom breaks. Mr. Pinker. <laughs> And just trying to or figure out. Or tootsie pots, honestly, as we were just talking about. <laughs> but, it's, you know, but it's all within the rules, right? right? So it's like, how can you put um, stronger restrictions on rules without uh, putting restrictions on those extreme cases when they do happen? You know, if you put one medical timeout, what happens if the player does have a very, yeah. you know, what if she sprains her ankle on the court? Are you going to just keep running the clock? Like that. So we, we want to keep. 
there's so many different interests, obviously, you know, like for TV, they want the match to go as quickly as, you know, as dramatically, but as quickly as possible. But for players, you want that protection that, okay, like when I go out on court, I know that if XYZ happens, like I'm still going to be okay. Like they're going to take care of me. They have my best interests at heart. So working with different entities, working with, you know, um, we talked to Grand Slams, we talked to tournaments, just constantly trying to put all these different heads together and figure out how can we put out the best product yeah. for everybody. Well, I think what what I'm hopeful is that is that with, you know, I have heard mixed things about the Netflix show that's coming out, but I know that the governing bodies, the ATP, the WTA, the Slam countries, France, America, Australia, and... Uh, what's the fourth place? Wimbledon. London, the LTA, have a pretty vested interest in this thing driving new fanship. And what I've heard and I am excited about is that it does more to illuminate like sort of the stakes and the interests. And they're not just players. It's not just, did this person win? Did this person lose? It's more like, how is this setting the sport up for success? How are we serving fans? How are we taking into account all these different stakes? And with seven governing bodies as opposed to one, like F1, for example, it's harder because you have competing interests. And I just think it's really cool that you can be at that table helping to decide things like, you know, Stephanie Tsitsipas taking a bunch of, again, this is ATP, not WTA, but him taking a bunch of medical timeouts that's not against the rules versus, hey, should the ATP have a domestic violence policy? I'm more concerned about the latter, frankly, than the former, even though the former is more annoying to watch on TV. You know what I mean? And so just having this feeling like people like you are at those tables making those decisions makes me happy because it's I know you're not um, you know, I know you're trying to take into account a lot of different you know, sort of factors and interests. Well, and one thing for the bathroom break as well for us as women is we have a time of the month that happens. 100%. And so everyone needs to pee, but sometimes things happen with that you're not prepared for. So what happens in those cases yeah. and just being very, you know, and, you know, Wimbledon changing their policy for the undershorts is, that's huge. Like yeah. that they're actually listening to women and, you know, not just thinking about their rules, but also taking into account that times are changing that, okay, like we went stricter with the all white policy, but now we're seeing that, okay, maybe we should take a step back mm-hmm. and realize that like the, that's a disadvantage for players exactly. and, it, and it can complicate things. Yeah. That, no, you're totally right. And this should be an evolving, you know, an evolving conversation. Um, Australian open and it's, it's the, the stakes are, Incredibly high. Are we ready? Are we ready to dive we're, into this? We're ready. It's gonna it's gonna happen in a, about ten days. But what? Uh, what? Just less. about about the Netflix, real quick. Oh, sure. Just one yeah, one yeah. thing is that you know I've I've seen everyone say we have to remember that this is not for us. It's for us, the, the players. Yes, us. Well, us people who are already in the sport. So whether yeah. it's you're a tennis Twitter person or a you know like someone who is invested in your favorite player or whatever or or a player yourself, it's this is for people who know virtually nothing, nothing about the sport. They might know the biggest names, but they maybe have never watched a match. So we're going to see a lot of themes that we've probably sick and tired of hearing of the pressure, the, the intensity. And so for us, it might just be like a eye roll of like, Oh yeah, we know this already, but this could be massive for people to get an interest into the sport. A lot of people don't know the mental battles that players have being out there by themselves and like the demons that we have to face. We don't have a coach sitting there like team sports. So like for them to be exposed to this, to be exposed to the, what, what goes on in the head of a player of a team, 
for the first time that could, that can honestly be like, and people, you know, some people want to gatekeep tennis and say, we don't want casual fans, but like, we need them. We need, of course we, we need, need to grow the sport. So. I, think, I mean, uh, the best way to look at that is I have never sat and watched an F1 race in my life. And I watched F1 drive to survive. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't wait to watch the sport now. Yeah, totally. And I had zero. And when I say zero interest in F1, I had zero interest in F1. And so for me now, I know the drivers, I know the teams, I know the managers, I know the, you know, the agents of the drivers all because of that series. So yeah. I think the bottom line is for us. Yes. It's not for technically for us, the insider tennis world, but it is for everybody like me at F1, like you, Caitlin, at F1, I'm sure you as well, Christy, it's like we weren't interested in F1 and all of a sudden now we're interested in F1 because of this series. So hopefully that's what the audience that it, this brings yeah. into this. I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine named Deb who wants to come on the show and actually do a Netflix recap when we are in a position to be able to talk about it more. Yes, Deb. He was basically saying that he hopes one of the things that gets changed, in addition to your comment about bringing casual fans, which we need, and I think seeing some of these scenes at early rounds in tournaments, especially tournaments that are not Grand Slams and this, the stadium maybe hugely only important. being 20-25% full, hugely important, which is I want to push some of the commentators um, to be thoughtful about how they are bringing people into the sport. And I don't mean talking down or, or making it too basic, but I do think in watching the U.S. Open in particular, um, you know, this past year when I was like, really frustrated at how insidery and how the same dusty anecdotes keep being brought out, especially by players, people who are former players. And I'm, and I'm, you're really good about not doing this, about making sure that people do understand what the players are going through from a perspective that you don't necessarily want to hear somebody who played Thank tennis you. in the eighties professionally, who's not super prepared maybe, or doesn't know how to pronounce the names. And I want that to feel like they, sh there should be a little bit of pressure for them to do better. You know, like if we're going to have the same names commentating on tennis from the same couple of broadcast outlets, and especially if they haven't played pro tennis in 30 years, let's try to do a little bit more fan service, especially if some of those fans who now, because of Netflix's series, are tuning in for the first time, don't don't have, you know, a familiarity with, uh, you know, a match that took place in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Like, that to me or is... don't use the phrase consolidate the break. Consolidate the break. What does that mean for somebody? Or or guessing as to the player's mental state as them being tense, which is like one male commentator's crutch that he's been using for the last 40 years. So I'm not saying we need to fire them or replace them, although maybe we should. It's just more like, everybody, let's look alive here if we've got a bunch of new fans coming to our sport for the first time. Yeah, I wonder if, I wonder if the world's tennis is actually ready for it like you just see so many more eyes eyeballs on the sport like it, it's a lot of pressure not just for like players but just the you know the infrastructure of tennis we've been very isolated yeah and yeah and i can say one of point. the one of the things about racket that we've found is that we have had so much of an easier time talking to people who are new and we get so much pushback from people inside the space who is this for? Why are you guys doing this? Why are you guys critical? Why aren't you writing glowing? And it's because any other sport has a robust media apparatus where a lot of people are asking a lot of different questions. And you know what? The players, the agents, the governing bodies, they develop some thick skin because they understand that it is all in service of the audience growth and holding people accountable. Tennis hasn't had that. And I'm really excited at the prospect that it will start because then we'll stop looking like these guys who are just a thorn in the side 
and be hopefully viewed as what we actually are, which is trying to grow the sport. What we said last week was that tennis in general needs to get its shit together, <laughs> is what we said. <laughs> that's so, right. So this will be an opportunity, like you said, I think that's a really good point, Christy, that I don't know if tennis is prepared for this. You know, if we do get new eyeballs, which we will, um, and a growing brand after watching mm-hmm. this um, mm-hmm. this Netflix series, are you prepared to cater to those people? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily your insiders, not necessarily your, you know, your just hardline tennis fans. We it need hurts. you guys to be prepared for people that actually now love tennis from watching the series but have no idea about how to score. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and how can we keep them? Yeah, and how do you keep them? Yeah, yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So that's, we're going to send that to the WTA and ATP, and I already said it last week, get your shit together. Yeah, everybody look alive. Australian Open, let's go. Yeah, let's go. What do we think about... Uh, okay, so Alcaraz is out. What a bummer. Um, but the GOAT, yeah. He's, yeah. he's back. Yeah, he's back. Novak is looking unstoppable. And he's buff. Did you guys notice he like gained like 10, 15 pounds of muscle? This guy is starting to look... No, I'm serious. Have you not seen really? this? Really? Yeah, look at, look at the photos of him online. Look at some of his matches. He's got like... I mean, he's had a, he, I feel like he's been training for this moment. Like this is his bread for and butter <laughs> for a year, yeah. <laughs> for two years. No, he's, I mean, Australian Open is literally his, yeah. it's his tournament. Yeah, this is where so. he likes I actually, hunt. I think it was good for him also in Adelaide. He was pushed like big time. I mean, obviously look, match point to Seb Corda and kudos to Seb Corda. You know, I talked about Taylor Fritz was, I, I feel like going to have a great year this year. I think he may even get to a final of a Grand Slam. I think he's playing well enough. I think he believes in himself more. We've talked about all the Americans, but it's amazing that we've, I, I was, and I said the year before that I thought Seb was going to be the player, the best American player. He sort of just came out and said, hey, guys, don't forget about me. I had a tough year, 22. It was kind of like a sophomore year for him. So I think Seb Corda, we got to give him a lot of kudos because he was literally one point away from beating Novak. I mean, Although, if he'd been less of a pussy on match point, I'm just going to say it, I thought he was really, thought he really didn't go for it enough on that point. Lessons learned. When you play the greats, you got to beat them. They're not going to beat themselves on match point. Is there a more dangerous player to have a match point against than Novak Djokovic? you got to feel like that's like where he, he – he knows he has you, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And he can right smell, <laughs> smell the fear that, like, this guy has match point against me. Like, it's all downhill for them for here. 
because this and and I think for him actually being down match point going into Australian Open is just proved to everybody mm-hmm. else that he still has it. Yeah. yeah. That and like and then going three out of five, like seriously, good luck. Good luck. Yeah. 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 I thought uh, Mark Lacero actually did a really he did an interesting thing on Instagram where he dissected the match point that Seb Corder had. And one of the things that I I looked at it from Seb's point of view, what I thought as a coach, what Seb could have done. And Mark looked at it like this is why Novak's so good. And there was one ball that was a bit short and Novak just took the backhand and ripped it into the corner and knew that he had Seb on the run and, you know, came in behind it. And those are the little things that you look for as a coach or an ex-player. It's like, oh, what are the little tiny things that win matches and lose matches? And Novak just has this amazing way. But I agree with you. I think going to the Australian Open after having a tough week, he was 7-6, 7-6 against a guy that I'd never heard of. And then to beat Seb down match points, it's like, oh, he's got everyone where he wants him now. <laughs> Even yeah. though he may look like didn't win the tournament easily, it actually, for me, helps him going into the Australian Open. I think he's going to be almost impossible to beat in Melbourne again. Yeah, it's tough. And, uh, you know, obviously Alcaraz, the world's current number one, and you can argue about how legitimate his number one is just because, you know, he won a slam that Novak Djokovic couldn't play. But, you know, he's out. And it's hard to imagine, as much as we're all excited about Alcaraz, and I am very excited about him, it's hard to imagine that he has a career that doesn't end up looking a lot like Rafa's, where he plays incredibly physically well and has peaks, but also has valleys because he gets injured. To me, this is not going to be an unfamiliar pattern with him. Yeah, it's crazy the injuries that he's had now over the last few months. And I just, yeah, I I do think the same thing. The physicality between him is, I don't know, hopefully not. Hopefully this is a one-off. Yeah, I would love it if he stayed healthy. I think it also speaks to, I think people underestimate how much pressure and mental, like, toil takes into like how much it affects your body because mm, yeah. yeah. when you're playing free like your body and obviously he's young but when when you're playing free you're you can do anything but all of a sudden you start feeling a little bit more tense those like th- and that's also why Djokovic is so impressive to me yeah. it's just how long he's been able to play he plays physical tennis yeah. right like obviously we know Rafa to be the grinder and this and that but Djokovic I mean the dude's doing splits like no yeah, other right but you can see like how well he takes care of his body and also how well he handles that mental pressure yeah. that to me is the more impressive thing is like he is able to bounce back after literally anything that gets thrown his and way. that's just, a really interesting point the tension doesn't manifest in his body he's still just as gumby like well, sliding into the corners I was just thinking before. that's a really cool way to see the manifestation of stress, or in his case, the lack of it. Well, I think maybe let's not forget about the fact that he lets out his stress. Sure. I mean, he's telling his brother to piss off, get away, get out. He's telling his agent, like, leave. So you just wonder, as much as I hate to see that on court, yeah, I don't like and it's either, why he but... will never win the Sportsmanship Award, yeah. okay, is because of moments like that. Yeah. He's a great loser when he loses. His speech was amazing. He, like, even apologized to his his box, you know, no, he's gracious in, all in of those things are great, but he's, that's the reason he's not going to win sportsmanship award. Cause you can't by doing stuff like that. But having said that, I just wonder how much it helps him physically yeah. to actually let out all this negativity. And even if it doesn't look good, whereas Rafa's always keeping it in cause he never shows any negativity. He never yells at anyone. And just wonder how much keeping all of that in, which Alcaraz does kind of sort of, he lets out a little bit more than Rafa. How much does that affect you? Yeah. You know, it's I don't know. It's an interesting way of thinking about it. I just thought about it from that perspective. Is there a similarly amount, a similar amount of anticipation or or excitement for you guys coming into this on the women's side with Ega? Does it feel similarly like she's definitely, definitely head and shoulders the player to watch for, or is it a little bit as we are used to seeing in the WTA? 
a little bit more evenly spread in terms of. Well, I think if this were clay, I think she would be head and shoulders above. I yeah. think the Australian Australian courts play fast, so I yeah. think you know we saw Jesse Pagula play in Sydney last week, and she she's dangerous in Australia yeah. every year. She likes those fast you courts got too. Her Garcia, game is great who's with that. also you know coming off a great end of twenty twenty two season, and she can play some really good ball on hard court. Sabalenka, like there's so many. I was so happy to see Sabalenka. Win a tournament. Especially, she didn't win one last year. No, and I love her so much, and I always have because I really like the Lunatics. And watching her be able to serve this year after having gone to the depths of, like, not being able to literally Serving a, underarm at the same tournament last year. At the same year. tournament she couldn't oh, serve. did she? Yeah. Huh. She oh, was yeah. serving underarm at, she, in Adelaide last year. She just couldn't put it together. And then what an amazing place to go to the site of your traumatic underarm serving <laughs> mental breakdown and then come away with the trophy against a very exciting young player yeah. who had kind of the talk of the tournament. Yeah. Like Sabalenka to me, we all think she's overdue for a slam and I don't think anybody would argue with the she's got to get to a final first. She could win one, but she's come close in a lot of semifinals, never actually made it to the final. And I think, to me, I would love for her to be dangerous this year. We see a lot of players who do well, you know, a week or two, a week or two before a, a slam and then fizzle. Yeah. I mean, we saw it with Niskova lost um, in first round of qualifying. Yeah. Obviously she had a day in between. She's also a young gun, but that's what separates the good from the greats, right? Just to be able to perform week in week out, which is also what made Iga's 2022 season that much more impressive was her ability to just keep going, not just on one surface, but you know, as soon as Ash Barty retired, it was like Iga was there to pick it up. And yeah, John Wertheim in his column this week had a really fun turn of phrase that I had heard before but not applied to tennis, which is that Iga got a battlefield promotion when Ash retired and she was ready for it. You yeah, know, like yeah. she had. She a, was like the queen back in 1922. She was just ready to go in the wings. <laughs> yeah, give me that crown. Just, yeah, give me the I crown. I got this. So I saw her the day that she was, I knew that she was going to be one when Ash pulled out. I think we said this already in Miami. And I said, are you ready? She's just like, eh, I don't know. But, you know, God love her. She handed, like you said, she took that baton and not only ran with it, but like ran a marathon with it. Yes. It was unbelievable, 37 match win streak. So this makes me think of two players, one of whom just merits conversation because she's won a slam and she could not be more of a lunatic, whether you like it or not. And now she can't get a serve in, which is Yelena Ostapenko, who double faulted the last two matches I've watched her play, double faulted on match point down to lose. And who... Who's this girl nowadays? Like, she looks like a maniac. She always has had that edge of crazy eyes, but with the outfits and the, I don't know how fit she is. Like, it looks, she kind of, what's going on with Yelena Ostapenko? I just, I don't know that any of you, either of you have a good answer for that, but I just thought I'd mention it. because I don't know, but I, I think if you look, I, I just, I have to say, you never know what's going to happen. Because if you look <laughs> at her last year, I mean, she made the finals of, what was it? It was either Doha or Dubai. Like, yeah. And then, you know, like you with Ostapenko, you just never when when you think she's out, that's when she comes back. Right. She's so. a truly a box of chocolates. <laughs> she really a is a box of really badly dressed chocolates. Sure. Okay. Okay. I mean, let's just say that outfits <laughs> are absolutely horrendous. It's it's a different level of they're maybe so bad they're good. She's uncoachable. <laughs> Okay. I know people that have coached her. She's uncoachable. She's had the same coach now. I'll give him a lot of credit for well Just over a year. Just hanging in there? Yeah. Um, it, but, but he's like, what's his name? You know, the Russian guy. He's like dates Kitchenok. I mean, he's a great guy. and He's so like relaxed and whatever. So he can deal with it. But she's uncoachable because there's no way you can say to her, look, just like let's spin this in here. Let's like maybe put a little bit more spin on the forehand. Let's like be a little. No, it's like 
hit, see ball, hit ball, and that's it. And there's no game plan B. Well, it's always fun to watch her, whether she's double faulting into the middle of the net or hitting winners from, you know. Yeah. She's not liked on tour. I can't imagine she is. Not liked Two other players that I want to mention. The person I think she lost to in that Doha or Dubai final was Garbina Muguruza, who... Cannot win a match. Doesn't seem like she can win a match, which is so tragic because I love watching her play. I'm, I Maybe I'm alone in that, but I really am always rooting for Garbina. I'm going to give her six months before retiring. You think so? Unless Ooh. she starts winning matches, I don't see her What's hanging going around. I mean, in fairness, she has had really tough draws. She does I seem mean, to have tough draws, no? Like, but be... every every week's a tough draw now. I mean, yeah, I, it's for sure. But I I think... I mean, Iga Shiontek's not going, oh, I've got a tough draw. She just beats people. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I'm being, I'm just being honest. Like Sabalenka had a tough draw last week, but got on with it. But yeah, but a little, bit, you know, a little bit. I think, I think with Garvinia, what you see is when she gets a little bit of momentum, she really takes it. So for her, it's just you know maybe a couple Getting tough started. wins under her belt, mm-hmm. and then she'll she'll be fine. Yeah. Somebody else we should talk about who's leaving sort of a glaring hole at the top of the game, who cannot seem to bring herself to want to play tennis is Naomi Osaka. Osaka. What's the deal? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for me, I said this on my show yesterday. I said, look, it's clear that she doesn't, she's not happy playing tennis. It's clear that she finds tennis to be a little bit PTSD um, with whatever it is, whether it be winning or losing or press or bad press or sponsors or what I think she is so incredibly unhappy with the world of tennis in her life in some ways that she doesn't know how to handle it. And it obviously has made her a hundred million dollar woman, um, at least. At least, and going back to it with the PTSD that I think she feels, with the pressure that she feels to win and play well, is almost overwhelming to her. So I said, if you were going to feel that way, take say to us, the press now, to all of the tennis world, I am actually stepping away from the game. Yeah, like an Ash Barty, like an Ash Barty, like I am going into. Evolving away from the sport for a while. I may come back, I may not, but I don't want to be asked any more about tennis. For now, I am not playing tennis. I am retired from the game. Leave me alone. Um, if I decide to come back, I will let you know in my time. I think that would be the best thing for her to do right now. And then people will stop asking her, enter the tournaments, what are you doing? It's just like, oh, she's not playing anymore. Like almost like yeah, she's she was retired. Not, she didn't give a reason for withdrawing. Again, my people. Yeah, I people, don't understand that. Some people might think we're being unfair, but the truth is not only is she the $100 million woman who's in all the advertisements and obviously benefiting greatly from having won four Grand Slams and being a prodigious talent, but also she's launched a sports agency, which is also making her money, which also puts her firmly within the sport. And God knows her agent isn't taking any days off. And I say that neither as a critique nor a piece of praise. They just signed on Jabeur. Exactly. And so for me, it's like be in tennis or don't be in it. But if you're going to be in it, you need to be able to answer questions. That's transparency. Kind of the, that's that's the part of the, the game that and if it is the answer like, hey, I'm actually just interested in being a businesswoman, then that's a good opportunity to proactively say that but maybe she doesn't know you know and i obviously like i'm not trying to say like i know what she's thinking or how she's feeling but i think sometimes it's like obviously we see dollar signs and we're like oh she couldn't she can just buy away all her problems but it's like she is a person she does have feelings and you know this is a type of pressure and magnitude that we can't understand is you know obviously maybe Stubbs can't, but no, like, you know, no, <laughs> I but, cannot. you know, so for, you know, for her, she knows she has eyes on her. Maybe she doesn't know how she's feeling. She's trying to process all this. Maybe she will tell us one day what she, what was happening, what is happening. But I think, 
you know, it, it sucks for the sport to not have her, you know, especially because she was so much fun to watch. She was obviously a great personality to have as well. But I think it's also like there needs to be a certain amount of just respect for, for me, you know, I'm not just saying it as like someone who knows her, but it's just really empathizing with someone who doesn't necessarily relish the, the spotlight mm-hmm. and maybe who's trying to, she's, she's still young, you know, she's trying to figure out who she is. I, I agree well. with all of that, but I will say that she and her agent have started an agency and part of respectfully, totally agree with what you're saying. If she was just a player, everything you said to me would be completely true. She would be kid gloves. She's not, she's positioning herself as being somebody who is the face of an agency that is tasked with promoting and making money with and for other players, which to me makes her part of the ecosystem in a bigger way, which is to me why she does have to, if you're going to be out in front of cameras and brands, then you also have to at least be proactive in managing the dialogue or just don't have the agency or just be like, you know what? My agent started this and I'm along for the ride and I'm just going to piece out the background and he's using my name and that's just what's what. Like, I do think that there's a little bit of an issue with just wanting to reap all the benefits but not having any of their responsibility. I I'm, I'm I think I'm which is random. I'm right in the middle of the two of you. <laughs> yeah. Like literally like sitting in between the two of you. I 100% agree with you. Um, I think that socially she is incredibly awkward and not relishes the spotlight at all. Like there's so many things that she hates about cameras speaking, all of that sort of stuff. I agree with you that she's trying to be a businesswoman. She is positioning herself in that world, et cetera, which I think is all great, uh, by the way. Um, so I think I sit in the middle of saying what I said, I think is the best thing for her to say, guys, I am not intending to play until I think I'm ready and I may never be ready. And so I would like to step away from the game right now know that I'm not going to be playing any tournaments. Do not ask me if I'm playing tennis again. I may not come back at all. So there's my answer. I am. So you want a statement? I want to. Yeah, no, I'm not. Even I'm if not, she doesn't know, just say like, I don't know what I'm. But just for her benefit, yeah. I think for her benefit, rather than all of us like, where is she? Yeah. She's lost. Nobody can find Naomi. Oh, no, except no. here's her four hundred thousand brand obligations that she's going to show. And that's up for. fine. And again, I'm not resenting her. Like, get that's the fine. get the bag. But if you do, and you're going to make, but there's no pressure on her to turn up and do a photo shoot or sell a book or take a photo for Vogue or go to the Louis Vuitton store in Paris and sell her brand here. There's no pressure in that except, I mean, she doesn't really relish that either, but it makes her a lot of money. What What is pressure is walking onto the fucking tennis court at the centre court at Roland Garros or Wimbledon or the French Open or the US Open on Arthur Ashe and performing in front of people that have got eyeballs on you expecting you to win when you are not emotionally and mentally and physically prepared to play the tennis that everyone expects you to play. Yeah. And then therefore have to then play, if you play like shit, have all those questions thrown at your face. Now people are like, well, that's what your job is. You should deal with that. She doesn't have to deal with that. <laughs> she doesn't have to deal with that. Yeah. She can not play tennis for the rest of her life and be completely happy. I want her to be happy. That's what I want. I think this is a really unique time in sports media that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, before, if you were a tennis player first, you were a tennis player first. Yeah. You can. And, you know, when you right. look at the greats of, you know, Sharapova, uh, Serena, Roger, Rafa, jo- Djokovic, they all established themselves for not just a couple of years, but, you know, decades, they were, they were tennis and they paid their dues in the sport for sure. 
But then you have someone like Naomi who burst into the spotlight, had an explosive couple years, and then all of a sudden she doesn't really need to play tennis anymore. So it's I mean, guys, like, we don't have Ash Barty in our sport anymore at 25. She's now pregnant, wanting to have a family because she didn't like it. She didn't love the stress, the pressure, the travel, all of that sort of stuff. We're lucky that she came back the second time and I'm actually she did. and actually proved to everybody and herself, I think more than anyone, I didn't think she could care about what anyone else thought except she needed to answer the questions herself. How good could I be? And I don't want to live the rest of my life thinking, maybe could I have won a Grand Slam? She's already answered that for herself, which is why she could walk away the, from the game at the top of the game and say, okay, everybody, remember, that's how good I was. Now I don't really love it, so I'm leaving and I'm going to be happy. And nobody's like, what? Oh, how dare you? And Naomi's essentially doing the same thing. She's not, though. Ash Barty didn't start an agency. But she didn't. She started a a tennis academy. That's way different. An agency is. See, I disagree with you on this. You're you're like. The, the agency thing for me is a really big if you if you establish an agency so which if is Ash Barty started an agency you yeah. would be like I have a problem with that not at all I if Ash Barty started an agency while actively telling everyone to fuck off then I would have an issue with it if your task is to sell the game of tennis and you are openly ambivalent and maybe some could argue even sort of like hostile towards the tennis I mean we recorded an interview with her last year where she told us that the press getting to talk to her was a privilege you should have seen Billie Jean King's. As a matter of fact, you can see Billie Jean King's <laughs> face drop. Somebody who worked their ass off to establish the sport, to get sponsors interested, to think of it as not only her primary responsibility to play and entertain and to perform, but also to sell the game and make sure it was sustainable and healthy. To me, that was admirable. And I think if Naomi didn't start an agency, specifically an agency, not tasked like an academy with getting people to play better tennis and then, you know, God love you, good luck out there, but rather an agency that was theoretically tasked with making careers and brands and uh, sort of the promotion of certain aspects. That to me is such a huge conflict that is so glaringly obvious that that is, I think for me, a lot of the heart of the issue, which which is you can't, you cannot have those two things at the same time. You can have privacy and your own ambivalence and your own ability to walk away. Sure. But don't also simultaneously try to make money by being in our faces with other players deals and other players where you're so openly sort of like honestly antagonistic about the sport of tennis and again i don't begrudge anybody their opinion but especially also, having played I it mean, it's not exactly an answer but it's like i think she wants to be more than tennis right evolve isn't necessarily just i don't tennis. regardless i think when we we talk obviously we saw like with nick and ons and this and that but i think it, it evolve is trying to be bigger than tennis like i i understand what you're saying but i think for me it's like I don't see that obligation in terms mm-hmm. of if she's going to be running, quote unquote, running an agency that she necessarily has to be face of this, you know, continue to play the sport. I think she's, I don't know. I like, I, to me, that's not such a big mm-hmm. conflict of interest. I get, I get what you're saying. I guess what we're saying here is all you listeners out there, whatever your thoughts are, this, this is time to sort of like tweet at us and let us know what you think, because you're the, you know, you're the people that, follow the sport and it's interesting it's an interesting conversation i think it, naomi's a very complicated young woman and i think, I think the she's... best thing that chrissy said i agree with you is that we've never had in a situation like this before yeah. unprecedented what we're seeing because if you're naomi, gonna if you're unhappy and you walk away most of the times you've walked away that's not quite what this is and i think that's why it's sort of it's but some people love the sport and but don't want the spotlight of the sport for themselves in the end 
you know, and I think that's part of it as well is that it's, it's a lot of pressure and it's some people seek it for their own ego uh, to keep going, keep playing. And some people don't play it for their own ego. I think Ash definitely stroked her ego enough to be able to walk away happy. Yeah. I think Naomi's definitely, I don't think her ego is wrapped around winning and losing tennis matches per se I think her self-worth is Mm -hmm. but there's a difference between winning and losing to feel better about yourself as opposed to your ego it's I think they're very different things I think Ash had a healthy ego um and stroked enough to be like all right I'm out here now bye but Naomi I think is complicated in so many different ways I don't think her ego is as it's it's her ego is a complicated one and I think it's more on the social aspect of being in the spotlight that she struggles with as a tennis player. Yeah. Well, I think also Ash had the benefit or not benefit of having that early success as a junior and seeing how much she didn't, what she didn't like. So she got the growing pains early on, stepped away from the sport. And when she came back, she knew exactly what she wanted from it. She knew who she was going to interact with at what capacity doing her dues, but no more than that. She did exactly she knew her boundaries yeah. and I think with Naomi who you know came on as a very shy quirky little girl and we saw her grow into a woman with the sport but all of a sudden we don't know what her relationship with the sport is mm-hmm. and how much you know like if Ash had these sponsorships and all this pressure on her that Naomi did not only as a transatlantic global woman yeah. but also like these are things that nobody was this she's you know the guidance wasn't there right so like ash had pretty good guidance and also as you said ash had a very uh she she was a very boundary oriented person and as you said one of the things that i thought was super illuminating is hearkening back to your own experience knowing with maturity and growth why where you need to be what's the why where am i going to be most happy and i think you know for me if naomi had stepped away and sort of taken a beat to figure it out, sleeping on her bags of cash, great. But it's the fact that she's here but not here, both in the presence of her business entities, but also this this thing that has her DNA in it. This isn't her agent's agency. This is her agency. And that, to me, is where I get stuck up. But look, who knows if we're going to see her play this week, uh, this year at all. And we have an incredible cast of characters not only coming to the screens in 10 days, but also to the courts. Mm. So... It's going to be a great uh, watch. Um, all right, well... Uh, we got to wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Okay, let's let's wrap it up to this point. Who's going to win the Australian Open, men's and women's? Caitlin? Jess Pagula. How about that? Why and, not? Uh, I'm going to... Young Gun. I, Felix Auger-Eliassime. Wow, okay, go for Do it. Do I think it's going to happen? No, but I, this is more like the heart than the head. Jess and Felix, that's my pick. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with the favorite, Djokovic. Women's side, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Sabalenka. Okay, Ooh. we'll go we'll go. Fun. I'm gonna have I I would I'm just we're gonna have her go deep, um. But I I want this for Arena. I'm, I'm hoping those demons are, you know, pushed aside and this is this is her moment. The, well, the courts will suit her. Okay, so shit. I mean, it's amazing that you can have a dominant number one like Iga, but yet be a little bit unsure just going. I, I, Listen, I will say that the, the Jess loss was a little bit of circumstance as well. I mean, and I don't want to take anything away from Jess because, my God, that was one of the best matches I've ever seen her play. But Iga was coming from Brisbane. The courts are totally different up there. The conditions, it's more humid in Brisbane, blah, blah, blah. Very different conditions in Sydney. So 
I'm not paying too much credence to her loss. Positive for Jess, absolutely. Um, also different playing on a team event versus very different, sudden. especially for her being so regarded in Poland. Like she was the the win. If they lost, she was done. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but it's like Messi for Argentina. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Djokovic. I think he's going to get ten, and I think he's going to give the middle finger to everyone in the world after he wins, and he probably would. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to go with Ego. I'm going to go with both the number one. Uh, well, I mean, he's not number one. What is number? No, no, Rafa's going to be number one. I'm going to go with Djokovic. I'm going to go with Iga. All right. Well, let's so there you go. But I would in. be not shocked if Iga doesn't win, and be great <laughs> to see a Sabalenka Jess final. Two never been to a final. We'll see. And the Australian Open has had random finalists. Look at Danielle Collins. Well, year. she's not random. She's she is a force but in Australia. <laughs> she is. But to get to a final of a slam, that yeah. was a bit of a surprise. So anyway, we'll see. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And Christy, thanks Thank for you, joining Christy. us. Thanks for having me. Hey man, uh, it's great to Come see you. Come back again. Yeah. For pastries. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 